Welcome to the Change Group Podcast, where we strive to have conversations each month that will help you as a leader to move your church forward toward healthy, lasting change. Welcome everyone to this month's Change Group Podcast. Uh, we are blessed to have with us today, David Wigington uh, from uh, Cornerstone Fellowship Church. Is that right? Did I get that right? Cornerstone Christian Fellowship. Yeah. Christian Fellowship. <sighs> Sorry. It's all um, right. And uh, David has been the pastor there for 25 years now and uh, authored a book I actually read last year called God of Longview, which is just an incredible book. So uh, what a blessing that is. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. So uh, share with us just uh, briefly kind of your journey in ministry, uh, how you came to, uh, to this church and kind of what, what that's looked like. Sure. You know, I, I grew up as a pastor's kid. My dad was actually in the state office for our denomination. And uh, so I grew up in ministry, traveling around with him and, and being in summer camps, lived at summer camps for nine weeks every summer and, and kind of knew really early on I was going to be a pastor um, or at least in ministry, uh, preached my first sermon at 11 years old and then uh, kind of went to uh, through the credentialing process, got my first credential when I was 16 years old. And then I uh, went to Southeastern University, met my wife and Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, we had a uh, just a, a, a part-time staff position there while we were in seminary. And uh, then I moved up, took a, an established church just outside of Chicago that had celebrated their 75th anniversary while I was there. And in the year and a half that I was there, I figured out that if I was going to survive it in pastoral ministry, I was probably going to need to develop my own culture <laughs> a little bit. And, uh, and so I have great admiration for people who revitalize churches and stick with it in those, uh, those established churches. But I, I kind of tapped out pretty early in that process and, and planted, uh, but we've been here now 25 years after planting. And, and so the church kind of has our DNA, which is a missions DNA and, and a family kind of feel. And, and so that's our, that's how we ended up here in Bloomington um, and planted 25 years ago. We've gone through two building uh, programs and I'm, I'm done building buildings and, and just kind of settling in for what the next, uh, probably won't make it another 25 years, but maybe the next 15, what those look like. So that's awesome. Your, your church is just such an incredibly generous church. Uh, what you do for missions is just, uh, inspiring. Uh, now staying in 25, 25 years in one place, like that's incredible. What would have been some of the, the, uh, value and benefits you found of longevity in one place, staying in one you place? Know, for me, it's it's several things. Uh, just on a practical level, I love the fact that I've been a place long enough that, you know, kids that I baptized, I've now married, and now I'm baptizing their kids, and and so that makes me often the old guy in the room when I would I was the young guy when we started, but uh, there's just such incredible value to staying in that situation and being able to develop lifelong friendships, and so I don't have really, I have ministry friends, but outside of that, my friends, my family are here in our church. Awesome. Uh, my biological family attends our church, but then we just have a lot of deep, deep relationships that have developed over those 25 years. And, and so the growth that we've experienced, we have a lot of people who have walked through those stages of growth with us, who've walked through building programs, who've walked through uh, giving and all of those kinds of things. So the, the generosity that you see from our church really is an outgrowth of of building that DNA over 25 years. So I just, I, I love that. One of the other leadership aspects of it I love is that I can, um, I can take short-term losses 
for the long-term good because I know I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And, and people know I'm not going anywhere. So when I, when I do something that, uh, that results in a short-term, you know, course correction or, or, or loss, if you will, um, people know, well, I'm, I, I really believe it's for the long-term good because I'm not going anywhere. Do you, do you have an example of that? You know, um, yeah. I mean, one, one was the running joke in, in our family is that I fired my wife. Um, <laughs> my wife was our worship pastor for the first 17 years of our church. And um, she's about a year and a half older than I am. She probably wouldn't like me saying that, but uh, there came a time when I looked up on our platform and I realized that our worship leader, who was my wife, was in her 40s and that she is an incredibly gifted musician, an incredibly gifted worship leader. And so I don't have anything bad to say about worship leaders that are in their 40s, but I just felt really the sense that we're in a college town that we needed to skew younger on our platform and I wasn't getting any younger. And so that was the one place that we could really make an adjustment. And so I asked her to move into a support role on our, on our worship team and hired somebody about 15 years younger than her to be our, our worship uh, leader, our worship pastor. And that person is still with us um, here six or seven years later. And in the short term, um, I took some dings for it because when you're, when you're used to something, when you're yeah. used to, you know, the same person up there for seven, you know, I mean, the same worship leader since we started the church, you know, and she's the pastor's wife. So people were comfortable. They, they, you know, they, they knew her style. They knew, they knew that, you know, they, that she had a heart to lead them into worship. And, and, and so uh, that was a short term sort of ding to us. And, and I spent some leadership capital, even though it was with my family, you know, I was making an adjustment and she was fully supportive of it. There were people in the church that questioned it. And, um, and, but in long term, it's, it's done us a lot of good. It's really moved us down the field um, and, and has helped us uh, on our, especially in our Sunday morning worship experience. So awesome. that's just one example of some, something I knew was going to be a short term, you know, not a setback, setback would be a strong word for it, but yeah. a short term challenge. Yeah. something that I knew long-term was the right thing for the church. I think that's awesome. I, that's something that, uh, you know, just inspires me, you know, wanting to, uh, so, so many, you know, want to come and go, but stick it out for the long sure. term. Yeah. In a recent study that uh, the Barna Group did, they found that pastors are staying in the churches actually longer uh, with the average church tenure right now at 11 years as compared to just four years in 1992, uh, which is a, that's a big, that's a big shift. That's almost tripled. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? You know, I, I think, first of all, it's super interesting because I saw that study and and the, the statistic we all remember from like the 90s, right, is that youth pastors, the average tenure of youth pastor was like 18 months. Yeah, yeah. Well, the reason was because lead pastors didn't stay more than four or five years. And so, uh, you know, when a, when a lead pastor leaves, the youth pastor leaves, the children's pastor leaves, and there's all this turnover. And so I find it fascinating. That's why we have, you know, I think longer and longer tenure at our church. I've been here again, 25 years. Our children's pastor has been here 17. Our youth pastor has been, he's, he's been with us since he was a teenager. He's been on staff now for 15 years. Incredible. Um, and my worship, my current worship pastor, they've been in the church for, I think, 11 years and, and she's been on staff for seven. And, and so the longer the lead pastors there, the, the more it gives time for teams to grow together, for teams to develop and, and, and do ministry and their family. And they know, they know my DNA, they know how to respond to me when I'm having bad days and they know how to cheer me on and, 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 and how to work with me. So, but I think the reason for that, the reason for that shift, uh, my guess is just that we kind of finally figured out that 
the whole climb and the ladder was a, was a lie in ministry yeah. um, that, that, you know, just because there's a bigger church who offers a little bit more money or a lot more money um, that it's, it's not a, it's not a better situation that the same I've, I, you know, I've learned that we're kind of a medium sized church, I would guess probably large in the statistical, you know, sphere of things, but I consider us kind of a medium sized church. We're certainly not a mega church. And uh, I just learned that the mega churches they might come with more money and more prestige, but they also come with the same problems I have just magnified many times over. And yeah. so I think the the thought of, I'm just going to leave this place and go to a place that I can make more money and have fewer problems. We figured out that that's a myth and, and, and that there really is benefit to sticking your nose to the grindstone and, and working through issues and, and staying. Yeah. And uh, I actually had an opportunity. It's not a secret, so I can talk about it. I had an opportunity two years ago, right at the, the first six months of COVID to leave and go to a church that was about, oh, it depends on whose numbers you believe, uh, about seven or eight times our size, maybe more. Um, and and a, a, a pay package that was a couple hundred thousand dollars more than what I currently make and decided to stay. Um, and there was a lot of appeal to a situation like that, sure. when, you know, when you're looking at the money and you're looking at all the other benefits and things, but, uh, ultimately we feel like the Lord gave us permission to stay and, and that that really has paid off in the last couple of years, uh, because of the, you know, the longevity aspect of it, of saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to stay here long-term. My kids are now on my team. My boys are both, both serve on our team. Cool. And so as our team has grown, it's grown to look a lot more like me because I've been here long enough to put my fingerprints on everything. That's right. I think a lot of pastors think they can leave their fingerprint in just a few years, but it takes decades to do that. Yeah. And it uh, does. It takes decades. As someone who's, you know, a few years behind you, I just want to say thank you for for being that example and that model that so many younger pastors desperately need, that it's not just about achieving uh, quick success. Uh, it's about seeing uh, long success, uh, success that happens over decades, whether you're youth pastor, kids pastor, senior pastor, sure, that the genuine lasting success and impact you make is the long relationships, not just yep. the short, immediate impact. Absolutely. Yeah. One of, one of my really good friends is missionary Dick Brogdon. And, um, I remember him telling me probably 15 years ago, you know, it takes 11 years to reach a Muslim for Jesus, to really see transformation wow. in a Muslim, you know, and in my mind at the time I was like, well, you got to be doing something wrong, you know, right. Cause it, it shouldn't take 11 years. Cause all I got to do is lead a prayer at the end of service and, and yeah. people, you know, get saved. And the longer I'm in ministry, the more I realize that that number is probably, you know, maybe a little longer in the Muslim world, but I think it takes years to see transformation in people's lives in, in, in ministry in the American church too. Uh, one of my really, really good friends who's a part of our church got baptized in, on Palm Sunday, 2013. Uh, and I was involved 11 years in his life, seeing him come to Jesus and seeing transformation really take place in his life. So I don't know that the numbers are all that different. I was just wrong as a younger minister to think I had it figured out. All I got to do is pray a prayer and people see transformation, real transformation and real DNA transfer, I think takes years yeah. and, and even decades. And so that'd be my encouragement to, to you to, you know, you're not that much younger than me, but a lot of younger pastors is stick with it, you know, stay, you know, stay through the hard times because the, the benefit in the long term, the, the, the payoff in the long term is just really cool, especially in ministry, because you get to see all of those really, really neat uh, situations where, you know, again, baptizing kids who were born to couples that I married and couples that I baptized when they were kids and teenagers and, and, and uh, really beginning to see a lot of that, the, the fun fruit of that.
I always think that's the ministry triple crown. If you can dedicate children, baptize them and one day do their weddings. Yeah, it it's really like, is. You get to do that, but you don't, you can't do that in five years or 10 years. Yep. Exactly. Not, it, not takes, it takes decades of sticking around and, and yeah. sticking through. And that's not, again, I, I don't want to give any illusion. You know, we're 25 years in, we've had some tough times. You know, yeah. I've, I've quit a thousand times, you know, don't yeah. call me on Monday and offer me a different job because on Monday you'll get a different answer than you'll get on Thursday or Friday. You know, I'm like every other pastor, we have, we have really, really tough times and COVID has been especially brutal, you know? And so, you know, and I, and part of the downside of that 25 years is, and I'll try to say this without getting emotional is, you know, in those 25 years, I've, there's not a person in our church who's attended more funerals than I have, because I've been at all of them. Yeah. And when I bury people, you know, I just buried Ruby Richardson. She was 96 years old. She was 71. When we started our church, she was with us all 25 yeah. years. Yeah. When I, when you bury somebody like that, it's deeply painful. It cuts because those people are family. So, yeah. uh, so the, the good times there's the high, the highs are higher. Well, boy, the lows are lower too, because mm -hmm. man, you're just deeply invested in people. And when people go through a divorce, you know, they're not just some random couple from the church. These are people that I've poured my life into for two and a half decades. And so when, yeah. uh, as we're, we're dealing with a situation right now, a couple going through divorce, that's been with us over 20 years, man, it's painful. Yeah. And so I don't want to give the illusion that, man, it's just all great if you stay, but, uh, but there are some incredibly, uh, beautiful fruits that come out of, of longevity and staying. I I've, I've seen this. My dad was, was a pastor and, uh, stayed for a long time, uh, in two different churches. And one of the things I watched with him and, and, uh, the church I pastor now, I've been here 10 and a half years. So not that long, but you know, over a decade, sure. um, is that longevity. One of the things that it provides is more clarity in your decisions because you see a bigger picture. Sure. Uh, have you found that? Absolutely. And, and I think the longer you're in a place, the more your decision matrix moves from what's best for me to what's best for the church. Yeah. You know, when you're only there two or three or five years, honestly, you're making decisions, you're making, you know, you're making financial and spiritual and leadership decisions that are really about, about you and your family. And I'm not saying don't put family first. I'm just saying the longer you're in a place, the more those two, the more they're like train tracks in the distance, the more those two things merge yeah. that what I see as best for me and my family is also what's best for the church and vice versa. And so I, I do think that decision-making matrix changes the longer that you're there. And, and so when I, you know, when I make leadership decisions now, I can truly say, man, I, I really believe I'm making the decision that's best for the church um, and not just best for me and, and, you know, or, or for my family. It's awesome. Now, one of the things I, I love about you, Dave, is you practice what you preach. And uh, you wrote this book, God of the Long View, which is, I mean, such a really rich book. Uh, the stories you share, I mean, it's just really well, well written. But this isn't just a theory. You, you live this out. We're talking about it. You, you're living sure. it out. What, what inspired you to write that book? So it's, it's a bit of a story. So our mutual friend, Rod Loy, um, yeah. I, I help lead a national effort called BAM, Business's Mission, where we're sending missionaries into difficult places, places we can't send people who can get missionary visas, and we're sending them as business people. And so they're starting coffee shops and, and CrossFit gyms and English schools. And so I help lead the, the U.S. effort for fundraising and, and sending and legal support and business support. We have a couple of MBAs on our team and an attorney on our team that help those 
those missionaries to to do all the things right by you know their local taxes as well as their their U.S. taxes. And then we help fundraise. And I had a fundraiser planned for uh, this would be November of eighteen, and Rod was going to be our speaker. And we needed to raise about a million and a half dollars on that Tuesday. We had people coming into New York City and had a nice hotel and some, you know, some events planned. We were sending them to shows and all these donors. We were going to ask for money. And uh, I'd had Rod scheduled for months to come speak on that Tuesday and told him, you know, hey, we need to raise a million and a half dollars. And on Friday, he texted me and said, hey, he said, I'm not going to be able to come. And they had a member of their team who had a longtime member of their team who had grown deeply ill and uh, brother Wilmoth was about to pass away. And he said, look, he's not going to make it through the weekend. I can't leave. I got to be here for the family. I got to be here for the team. It's one of those, again, things of longevity when you're there that long and you've been around the team, you just can't be gone in those moments. And so I hated it, but I understood it. And, and so I walked into my office on Saturday morning and uh, I, I texted him and I said, Hey, uh, why don't you just send me your notes? I've filled in for Rod a couple of times when his kids have been ill or whatever. I've flown in and done fundraising things and filled in. I said, just send me your notes and I'll just make it my own and 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 I'll I'll do it. And he said, well, he said, the problem is all my notes are full of personal stories from travels that you can't tell with integrity. He said, so basically you're on your own. And so I put a sign on my office door. I have a sign that I put on my office door that says pastors in a writing session, unless the building's on fire or somebody's actively dying, please come back another time. And uh, so I sat there that Saturday morning and began to pray and in praying and searching and reading, I, I found a poem by Cardinal Dearden and uh, it's this the poem or prayer, the God of the long view. And it just deeply impacted me. And I thought, this is really the story of our, of our missions efforts in a lot of these places. It's, it's a long view, you know, you go in and some of our teams are laboring away for six, seven, eight years before they see their first convert. And, and so it really impacted me. And so I wrote this message, this, this, this appeal called the God of the long view. And after I, after I presented it that Tuesday, we raised lots and lots of money. The Lord really provided, he was faithful. And, and two of my really good friends that I deeply respect walked up to me. Um, Omar Byler was one of them and Greg Beggs was the other. And they walked up to me in the foyer of that hotel. And they said, they call me Wiggs. And they said, Wiggs, that idea of the God of the long view, you need to write a book about that. And I, and I, I, I thought about writing, you know, when you're pastoral ministry and you write sermons, you always think about, Hey, this could be a book or yeah. what have you, but it's just a different animal, right? In a, you know, 15 page manuscript for a message versus writing right. a 250 page book or whatever. And, uh, I had had surgery on my right elbow the previous year and had the same problem, lateral collateral ligament tear in my left elbow had blocked my schedule for the first two weeks of December of 2018 to have that surgery. And I texted the surgeon and I said, Hey, you know, what would happen if I didn't have surgery? He said, well, it's not going to get any more or less torn. It's already torn. So if you're feeling good and want to delay it, that's fine. And so I canceled the surgery, walked into my office the first week of December, put that sign on my door. And eight days later, I had a 45,000 word uh, wow. manuscript uh, for God of the long view. So the irony of it is that I wrote the book on the God of the long view in eight days. <laughs> and I say that not to pat myself on the back because I no. haven't done it before or since. It's just simply to me, one of the beautiful things that came out of it was it's so clear it was the Lord because yeah. nobody, people who write books don't write books in eight days. And so I finished the manuscript and sent it off to an editor and, and took several months. And I think in June of 2019, uh, we had had the book in our hand and I really wrote it with the idea of encouraging our missionary family. And that's a pretty narrow audience to write for. Um, but then when COVID happened, it really seemed to have this like second life ministering to pastors of saying, stick it out. You know, there, there's beautiful things that come from sticking out and seeing that God has a long view and, and the, the, 
the one line of that Cardinal Dearden poem or prayer that really has stuck out to me through the last several years. And it's just, if I had a theme, the theme of my life would be this, we're, we're ministers, not messiahs. Yeah. We're, we're, we're workers, not architects. Yeah. And, and God's the architect, God's the, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. And, and so we just got to stay faithful to our assignment. And, you know, we're all called to ministry. We're all called into missions as such, but we all have different assignments and, and you just have to be faithful to your assignment. And the longer you're faithful to your assignment, the more of that beautiful fruit you're going to see. And so that's really just kind of the story of the origins of the, the book. It's opened a lot of really neat doors for me to speak and, and talk and be in situations like this. And I'm grateful for, for people like you, Nick, to have read it and been so encouraging to me because I, you know, again, I, I was, I wrote it. It's, it's a cliche, but I wrote it for an audience of one. I was just kind of being faithful and obedient. And I, the Lord was, had put a lot of those stories in, in my path as I've traveled. And, and, and so it's, it's just kind of a weird neat thing. I walked into our local Best Buy uh, two or three weeks ago. Uh, the general manager is a guy by the name of Joe. I've known him 25 years. He opened the Best Buy here in Bloomington the same time we were planting the church. So I've just known him for years. He's never attended the church. We've invited him. He's never attended. I walked in. He goes, hey, I read your book last week. Wow. Like, you what? And he said, yeah, I was on vacation. I read your book. And I thought at first, he's just kind of being nice. He knew I'd read a book. Yeah. You know, he knew I'd written a book and I thought he's just being nice. And then he starts like retelling me stories that are seven chapters deep in my book. And I'm like, wow, he really read my book on vacation. He's like, yeah, I sat on the beach and read your book. And so it's just been a really weird, unique sort of so thing, cool. you know, where it's open doors for conversations with people. And so I had a really beautiful conversation with him standing there in Best Buy about how God works and how, you know, how we've got missionaries around the world who are doing this hard work and pastors who are sticking it out during COVID and all of that. So it's been a, it's been a neat journey. As a, as a pastor that's led through a uh, pandemic and COVID and all of that, man, it was so encouraging. Uh, reading that in the middle of it all, and your story about uh, the missionaries in China planting coffee tree. Yeah. Wow. That's, <laughs> I was like, man, I mean, you're talking about a century or more um, yeah. separating uh, the action from the result. Yeah. What, what a, uh, man, what a story. And I would encourage anyone listening, you got, you have to pick up the book. It is such an, an excellent book. And at the end, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about how to, uh, how to get it. Uh, kind of on along those, those lines of, of longevity and, and seeing a long view, how do you balance uh, your sense of patience, which you clearly have patience with your passion to see change happen in your church? So it, it's, it's interesting because if any of my family or friends were listening, they probably would dispute that I have patience because I am, I, I am not, I, the Lord's still working on me in that area. Yeah. So I think it's, it's sort of an ironic thing. I'm learning patience um, and I'm passionate to see growth and change and all of those things. But for me, it's theological. I've just learned that, that not everything is the way we expect it in our American culture. Not everything is microwaved. And yes, God can do deep transformational change in an instant. Absolutely. God can do miracles. I've had some people push back thinking that I'm saying that God doesn't do the supernatural. I believe he does, but I also believe that that's not the, that's not normative that the way God normally works. If you look at the scriptures, they didn't fall out of the sky you know, in, in a 30 second, you know, push of the microwave button, the scriptures were, were given through relationship and through centuries and through dozens of people. And that's the way God works. He works 
through generations and over time and through people. And so I, to me, the idea of patience and seeing God work of the long view, it's, it's a theological thing that I'm having to submit to more than, more than anything is to understand that I want to be patient, but I'm also passionate to, this is where I'm going. This is where we're going as a church and I want to get us there, but I don't want to microwave it. I want, I want the, the change to stick. I want it to be, I, I want it to work through people and into the, you know, the fiber of their being and them to understand that, you know, yes, we're working through this thing and we want to get to this. This is the intermediary goal maybe that we're getting to, but we're also a part of this incredible grand design called the kingdom of God that God is building. It's the most beautiful thing that's ever been built. And we get to be a part of it. Even if we only see a little bitty bit of it, we get to, you know, we get to be a part of it. The illustration I, I, uh, I use very, very briefly in the book. Um, and I wish I had unpacked it more. I've unpacked it more since in kind of speaking in various places, but I, I it's, I think it's maybe even a, a sentence or a paragraph in the book, but the idea of, of a pharmaceutical drug, you know, it takes billions of dollars and years. I took a loretidine this morning, a 10 milligram. The brand name is Claritin. Probably a lot of people listening, take them, take one every day for my allergies, just to keep my allergies suppressed, especially this time of year as things are blooming. And uh, that pill took, I think 17 years to develop and, and hundreds of millions of dollars Wow. And now I bought, I literally at Costco bought a bottle yesterday of 365 of them, a year's supply for nine bucks. You know, they're, they're pennies. Incredible. And, and that's the way ministry is. A lot of times you toil and you labor and you work away, especially in missions, you know, and sometimes the first pill, the first convert, the first baptism, you know, it takes years and lives. I mean, we have missionaries who are spending their lives in places where they've not seen their first convert. My son spent a year on one of our live dead teams. He came back, you know, thinking he was a failure because he's like, dad, I was there a whole year and we didn't, I didn't lead a single person to Jesus. Well, now that team, I think has baptized seven or eight local believers in the last 10 months. And wow. so, um, uh, the, the long view allows us to see our work in perspective and it's for my son to see the year of his life that he invested there as being a part of something bigger. He was developing that first pill, you know, yep. metaphorically speaking. And, and man, especially if you're planting a church or you're revitalizing an existing church, man, that idea resonates with you because you spent a lot of time toiling away and not seeing direct results. And so that idea of patience, coupled with a passion to see growth, to see people transformed, all of that. It, it, to me, it's theological. It's, it's understanding that I've got to keep working. I've got to stay patient while God, while God is working, while God does his work, because his work happens in his time, right? And Oswald Chambers said it. I used the quote in the book. You know, I've come to the realization that I may be the answer to someone's prayer prayed centuries ago. Now we love that notion, right? Because we're the hero riding in on the horse, answering somebody's prayer that was prayed to 200 years ago. But the same reality is someone else 200 years from now may be the answer to the prayers I'm praying now. That's something so, after reading the book I share with our staff, I think uh, is so powerful that you said is, you know, I want to dream big enough and pray big enough that the answers to those prayers don't happen in my lifetime. Yeah. And that sure. concept I think is so big and yep. huge and destroys our paradigm. Absolutely. Well, and the other, and the other aspect of that, Nick, is that, and I said this for our 25th anniversary, you know, we've accomplished a lot in 25 years. We've given eight and a half million dollars to missions. We've built a couple of 
very functional, practical buildings that, you know, people gather in on the weekends to worship and they're used every day. We've got 30, 30 or so Chi Alpha missionaries in our building today. They, they use our facilities for their offices. And so some beautiful things have happened, but I'm committed to our dreams for the future being bigger than our memories of the past. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's easy to sort of settle in if you don't have a long view and understand we got to keep dreaming. We've got to keep dreaming dreams that aren't going to happen in the next, you know, year or two or five years. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to settle in and go, wow, we've kind of arrived and we, you know, we're, we're comfortable and, 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 and all that. And I don't ever want to be in that place. I always want to have a passion for the future and what God is doing, but I want to, I want it to be more than something I can accomplish in six months. I want it yeah. to be something you know, that I, that I just know maybe my kids will accomplish, or maybe yeah. whoever pastors Cornerstone next will accomplish. Yeah. That's awesome. Over the last 24, 25 years at Cornerstone, what's been your biggest lesson that you've learned? It, and this is going to sound so trite and cliche, but it's not about me. You know, there's so much of ministry that the focus can be on the pastor, the, the, mm -hmm. the guy or gal who has the microphone on Sunday morning. And the longer I've pastored, the more preaching is important. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm passionate about communication. It's one of my passions in life. I love communication. Um, I consider myself, a you know, maybe an above average communicator. But man, the longer I pastor, the more I realize the small, small pinch of pastoral ministry that that moment really is. And it's just not less and less of it's about me. Um, you know, John Maxwell, the, his, his, you know, truism is everything rises and falls on leadership. And I think that's a complete lie. I think everything rises and falls on Jesus. And that may sound like a cliche thing that a pastor should say, but the older I get, the more I realize that's completely true. And that doesn't mean I don't want to work on my leadership. Yeah. It doesn't mean I want to, don't want to become the best, absolute best leader I can be and read every leadership book out there, which I have. Trust me, I've got a million of them on my shelf. Um, and it doesn't mean I'm arguing that leadership's not a lid a lot of times in ministry. But man, I've just learned more and more that that's, I've just got to keep going back to him. Yeah. that it rises and falls on my relationship with him and, and how much I lean into him and, and how much I trust him uh, and not me. And, awesome. and, and that's where I, I, I just, and that's where it's a lot easier to have the long view. If you understand everything rises and falls on Jesus. We're and just stewards I, of this. We're, we're not, just stewards of it. Yeah. We're, we're just, the, uh, this, we're just uh, ministers, not yeah. messiahs, you know, yeah. and, and we're not, we're not the master builder. We're just, we're just carpenters, you know? And, and so, uh, that's really the thing I've learned in 25 years. It probably took me, I'm probably still learning it because, you know, in the day to day, it's, it's so easy to get, you know, to, to get enamored with the notion that I can fix everything and that yeah. I can be everything to everyone. And so I'm still learning that, but, you know, leaning into Jesus and, and understanding that it's not about me. Um, and that, you know, I can, I can be gone and things still function and I cannot preach and people still get touched and blessed and, and, and learning as we've grown our team through the years, just learning that lesson and, and understanding that, you know, it's my church in the sense I want everybody to have ownership. We, we teach that. I want everybody to think somebody drops trash on the floor. That's my trash on the floor. I want everybody to have to catch that. Yeah. So it's my church. Yes, but it's not, it's not mine you know, it's, it's not about me and it's not, you know, I have ownership in the sense of responsibility, but not ownership in the sense of success or failure, because that doesn't 
but that doesn't depend on me. Is, is there something practical that, you know, someone listening might be able to do to start working on that, developing that? Yeah, I, I think um, for me, my planning always starts with what does it look like for me, I, I use the 25 years from now, because I know 25 years from now, I'm not going to be pastoring this church. Yeah. I'm 50. I'll be 50 this year. I, I've already told people you don't, I don't want you wiping my drool in between, you know, songs mm -hmm. on Sunday morning. Yeah. So I'm not going to be pastoring here when I'm 75. And so for me, my planning always starts at a, at a far out date that I know I'm not going to be here. And then what that does is challenge me and compel me to start releasing things to the next generation and challenge me and compel me to think about things that are bigger than what I can accomplish. Really good. And so much of what, you know, so much of our like day-to-day -day planning and all of our planners, you know, I've been looking for that 25 year planner. I don't think there's one on the market. Um, you know, so much of it is six months and our calendar and, yeah. and the today and the year. And we do all that. I mean, our, our Sunday morning preaching calendar is planned out a year, just like everybody yeah. else's, you know? Yeah. And so we do all of that. But I want to be thinking like, what does this look like 25 years from now? How can I build systems and DNA that sustains what we're doing and the missions giving and all of that, that sustains it far after I'm gone? And, and I don't have the answers for all that. But I think for me, that's where a long view starts is really thinking and dreaming about when I, when it no longer is me, who's the hero of the story, because we all kind of write ourselves into the hero of our own story, yeah. Yeah. but you start writing your story, you know, if you're 40 and you start writing your story 40 years from now and the story of your ministry and your mission 40 years from now, you can't be the hero of your story because so you're going to be, you know, in diapers. So, you know, it's nobody, nobody has heroes in diapers. So, um, for me, that's where it starts is really dreaming super long-term, but not, pie in the sky, head in the clouds where, oh, it's just all out there. Then kind of reeling that back and going, okay, what can I do in the next six months that helps me get there? You know, what, what can I do right now? And practically speaking, like one of the things I'm doing now is really starting to release Sunday morning pulpit ministry, you know, involving other people in that, in that story and, and, and having a team approach. Whereas for the first 20, two or 23 years anyway, you know, we were a one man show. I used to be the guy who would brag about, I preached 48 Sundays a year, or 49 wow. Sundays a year. Wow. And, and, you know, and that's, I look back now and I go, well, that was kind of foolish. You know, I wish I'd, uh, we'd grown the team, you know, more then. So we're growing that team and, and I'm starting to release those things because I'm realizing oh. that we'll never get to where I want to get to 25 years from now. So when I'm, you know, sitting on the sidelines, cheering everybody on, we'll never get there if I don't start releasing some of that stuff now, even though I feel like I'm capable, I could do it for 15 yeah. more years, 10 more years, whatever. Um, I, I need to be equipping the next generation and, and enabling them and, 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 and using my leadership capital to, you know, to, to defend them and to, to, you know, to, I want to spend my leadership capital on them. I've earned, I've earned a lot of it in 25 years. So I want to spend it on, you know, my kids who are on our team, on the yeah. others who are on our team and, and, and being able to be a buffer so that they can grow. If that, I hope that makes sense. Really good. Yeah. I, what, it, what it sounds like you're saying, defining the immediate in the context of the long term. Like, yeah, I love that. Not, yep. not, not uh, getting so enthralled with the immediate, but saying, hey, yep. the value of what we're doing now is actually not defined by the impact now. It's yep. defined by how it affects the future. Yeah, that's really, cool. really well said. Because I, I, I think we can, and we can be so consumed by the immediate because in ministry, 
you know, the, your phone could ring, my phone could ring right now on this podcast, and we would have something that could change the course of our day yeah. and the course of our week. Somebody yes. could be sick, somebody could die, somebody's marriage in crisis, For sure. somebody get, you know, pulled over with drugs in their car, like happened, you know, not happened to me, but happened to somebody in my church. Happened to you. This That's is how the, rumors get started. This, this is the, it happened this is the uh... because it happened to somebody <laughs> in my church, you know, you know, those things can change yeah. the course yep. of our immediate. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's so important to have that big picture dream of this is where we're going. And there's going to be stuff that something can sidetrack me today. Something can sidetrack me tomorrow. Something could sidetrack me for the next 30 days. But man, my commitment is nothing's going to sidetrack me from that big vision that God's given me for the long view. So does that make sense? It does. Makes a lot of sense. Last question I want to ask kind of thinking of the long view. What excites you about the future of the church? I'm talking about like, you know, capital C church. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that, I mean, several things excite me about the future of the church. Uh, a lot of the trends that we've talked about that people are staying, yeah. um, seeing young guys like yourself and young women leaders uh, like Nicole Shriver, our mutual friend yeah, and, yeah. and uh, going in and revitalizing really, really strong historical churches that have needed turned around and and that that stuff really excites me um i i get excited by church planting because i planted cornerstone yeah but i think the future of our movement is revitalizing existing churches and it's not as horrible terminology it's not as sexy as church planting yeah. you know um but man it's way harder I, mean, I, I think it's way harder. Yeah. And I, I'm not just saying this because you're doing it. Yeah. It's way harder doing what you're doing, what Nicole's doing, uh, what my friend Derek Ross is doing up in Minnesota. It's way harder doing what you're doing than doing what I did. Starting with a blank, because I told you, I failed at it. I went for a year and a half and tapped out. Yeah. It's way harder doing what you're doing than what I'm That excites me seeing younger pastors taking that on and, and sticking with it. And man, 10 plus years in a revitalization, turning around a, an existing church, way to go. I mean, that's, that's, that's incredible because that's what we have to have if, if we're going to change the trajectory of our movement, which is frankly downward at this point, we're closing more churches than we're opening. And so we need people who are going to go into those churches and keep them open. And one of my passions, Nick, is this, and, and this is something we don't talk about is, and I don't know the history of your church, mm -hmm. uh, but man, thank God for the people who were there for a year or two or five along the way, even when it was in decline, even when it was struggling, thank God for the people who kept it open so that uh, somebody could come along and, and turn the ship around. And we got to start celebrating those people too, because God may have leaders who are transitional in nature that are just there to keep the doors open and keep loving people and keep shepherding people until someone can come and truly turn the ship around. Some people, some of those 60 year old pastors don't have the energy to turn the ship around, but they can hold on to the stern long enough to keep it pointed, at least in the, you know, keep it from crashing, you know, crashing and burning. And that stuff excites me seeing that we have pastors who are will, willing to be interim, willing to hang in there. Um, I, I think the, the mission's heart of our movement is coming once again to the forefront. Um, and I think that's huge. I think that's really important. The movement is like movements like live dead movements in Africa, like urban tribes where we're planting churches in, in urban areas, uh, movements across, you know, uh, uh, Europe, like the secular people's initiative. Uh, I, I think 
the only way we're going to get where God wants us as a movement is to return to our roots and our roots are, we're a missionary, we're a missionary movement. Um, and, and so we were never intended to be, frankly, the cool kid on the block, you know, we yeah. were never, we were never intended to be a movement of mega churches. And I don't have any problems with mega churches. A lot of those pastors are dear friends of mine, but we were never, we're never going to be a movement of mega churches. There's too many rural areas. There are too many areas like our town of a hundred thousand people that doesn't have a mega church, never going to have a mega church because it's a liberal community, university community, man. What, you know, if we could, if we could return to our missionary focus that we are a local church movement that sends that is a sending movement for missionaries around the world, reaching the lost. We still got a lot of work to do. There's 6,700 sure. 6, unreached people groups around the world. A lot. We got a lot of work to do. And, and in order to do that, we're going to have to keep planting, keep revitalizing churches so that they can be healthy. Because if we don't have healthy sending churches, our missionary efforts are never going to be healthy. And so I, I, I'm excited about that because I think we've, I think we're on a better trajectory now than we were 10 years ago. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the future. And, and it's really because I I've seen, and, and I mean this sincerely, the next generation of pastors and missionaries who've stayed in a, in a movement that I know has flaws mm -hmm. that I know it has in some cases, I think is deeply flawed, mm -hmm. but you've stayed and you can't change it when you leave. And so that to me is the thing I'm excited about is seeing guys like you, younger pastors, younger missionaries who are like, yeah, I could have gone and done my own thing, but I'm staying because I'm going to stay and I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to make it better because I really do believe our best days are ahead of us. I, I really believe that. And it's guys like you that give me hope. And I'm not just saying that because you're hosting the podcast. I, I, I mean that seeing, you know, we were together at a meeting a couple of weeks ago yeah. in Dallas and seeing guys that, you know, I was one of the older guys in the room and, and seeing um, men and women in the room who are younger, who are taking ownership of this thing and saying, we're going to make sure it's healthy. We're going to make sure it communicates our vision clearly, and we're going to move the ball down the field. Um, because there was a time, honestly, 10 years ago when I wasn't sure there was going to be a healthy next generation to pass the ball to, mm. um, because I, I was seeing so many people in that generation younger than me, just kind of tapping out and leaving and, and starting their own thing and doing their own thing. And I'm not speaking negatively about them. I'm just saying, I, I believe wholeheartedly in our movement. And I think, I think our, our future's bright now. I really do. I, I'm excited about it. Awesome. That's so good. So good. As we kind of wrap up, David, I mean, this has been so rich. I just so appreciate uh, your example and model that you've set in ministry over the last 25 years. And, uh, excited to see what what's ahead for the next couple decades uh, of ministry there at Cornerstone. And uh, I just love this conversation. This was just awesome. I appreciate you uh, taking time. Uh, as we kind of wrap up, I want to just ask a couple things. One, uh, how can people get your book, God of Longview? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's available on Amazon. The Kindred's available on Amazon as well as, uh, I'm sorry, Kindle is available on Amazon as well as the paper. Um, if they want to write me, they can write me. If they want a signed copy, I can send them cool. a signed copy. Uh, my email is just david at bloomingtoncornerstone.com. Cool. David at bloomingtoncornerstone.com. So if you want a copy that way, you can yeah, we'll just put send that in, me yeah. a message and, then, and I'll, uh, I'll get it to you. 
That's awesome. And uh, how can people stay in touch with you? Uh, social media, anything you mentioned, your email. There. Yeah, you know, I'm an, I'm an old guy. So I'm, I'm on Facebook. So I, I have a, a Twitter, my Twitter feed norm is just really feeds to some of my photography, ph uh, photography and travel photography is one of my passions. So that's really all that's ever on my Twitter feed. But uh, yeah, you can keep up with me on on Facebook, you can follow me there. And, and, and I do post there fairly regularly. So MySpace. No, no, MySpace. I'm not that old. I did have MySpace at one point. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's really the easiest. You'll find me uh, other places, but they're, they're uh, the one that's probably the most active is Facebook. Cause that's where most of our people in our church still land. So old people like me. So, Hey, that's cool. Well, thank you, David, so much for, uh, for joining us. And uh, for all of our listeners, thank you for joining us for this month's Change Group podcast. And uh, if you want to get more information about Change Group, go to thechangegroup.org. Uh, our cohorts conference will be coming up this fall. Um, and we just so appreciate all of our listeners. If you can just uh, subscribe and give us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening. And we look forward to, uh, to hearing from you and uh, look forward to bringing another episode next month. Uh, next month, we're going to be joined... Uh, so excited to have uh, Nicole Schreiber back. Uh, she's going to be uh, hosting and uh, leading us to interview next month. So look forward to that. Thank you, David, for your time. Just such a blessing to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for this month's podcast. If you'd like more resources or to learn more about The Change Group, you can visit us at thechangegroup.org. Next month, we'll be back with another valuable conversation, and we hope you can join us.